Hi everybody, welcome to Chaos Under Control. My name is Emily Richardson and I am the host and the creator of this podcast. Today I will be making episode 32 for season 1 and I've already said this on other episodes but I will be closing out season 1 here pretty soon. I'm not sure if it will be here soon as in this week or maybe next week I'll let you know but I really think it may just depend on how this episode goes for me because this specific episode I have prepared many times I've prayed over this episode and I have had to find the courage to do it and now that I have it I just want to get it out there and we'll just see how it goes so I truly hope to get more content out there for y'all but if it doesn't happen anymore this month, you can guarantee that season two is coming soon. So let's dive right in. Today we are talking about forgiving and mine is about forgiving myself. Now I'm going to put out a disclaimer just in case there's kids in the room or you don't have headphones on or even if you do, I just want to put out a disclaimer that This episode is absolutely the most raw moment of my life publicly on social media, on this podcast. This is the most vulnerable and personal I probably will ever get. And I mean, maybe not ever, but definitely to this point in my life. And I am being very open here. I've said from day one that this podcast is my way of being transparent and honest And, you know, I want it to be a judgment-free zone, but there are times in life where you will be judged, and I'm pretty positive this will be one of them, and I understand that. I understand criticism and things happen, but I feel that I need to get this out there, and I truly hope with all of my podcasts, but this one over all of them, that if you find yourself in this situation, that you can listen to this podcast and other ones that I'm going to recommend for you and navigate through that the best way you know how. So, again... If you have kids around you, they may probably should go out of the room. You can put your headphones in, but just take that for what you will. This will be very personal. I will probably stumble through it in some spots and I will probably cry because it's very, very personal to me. So here we go. We're diving right in. So this episode is about forgiving and I feel like it's perfect right now because for some reason when a new year approaches, people feel that there's this sense of new beginnings, fresh starts, and all of that is true. There is that feeling in the air. And so people make New Year's resolutions. They kind of make amends and get rid of the grudges that they're holding or whatever it may be. So this here's a little different for me. I don't believe necessarily in New Year's resolutions. I'm all for the positivity leading into the new year, but New Year's resolutions to me never really seem to work out, at least not for me. So I don't really put my faith in those. However, this year I became a mother to my child Stetson, and I've talked about him many times on this podcast, and he will turn one next month on January the 12th. And so I've been planning his party, planning his first Christmas. I've been loving every minute with him. It has been a fantastic year. But there was a time in my life that something happened and it took me years to forgive myself. And now that I'm a mother, it's a totally different thing and I have to forgive myself in a new way. And so with his first birthday coming up, I've had a lot of pressure from that situation hit me in a new way. And 
Oh, I know I keep taking deep breaths, but I'm trying to stay calm and not cry. So I am now that I'm a mother, I'm trying to forgive myself in a different way rather than just as a person, but as a mother. And so planning his first birthday and watching him grow up, it's just been very hard. And so I've made myself not allow any more um, disappointment and hatred from myself to myself be within me anymore. Starting this next year, like this is the last month that I'm going to allow myself to feel this way. Now, there may be times when I slip up and I'm angry again, but it is what it is. And so right now with his birthday coming up, I'm going to focus on that being his birthday, the joy of his birthday, and that's all. So I'm trying to move past it. And I've prayed about it for so long. I sat down and talked with my husband about this over the years, literally. And I talked about it with him before making this episode. And he is the greatest person on this earth and I don't deserve him. And he told me, you know, you've tried everything. You've seen a therapist. You have dealt with this as best you can. And if you feel like that going on there and speaking out about it in your safe place, which is my podcast, which it really helps my mental health, y'all, it does. He's like, you need to do it. And my therapist recommended this because I was going to her about what I'm talking about on this episode. And she said, you need to find an outlet and whatever that outlet is, you need to utilize it. And you may be able to touch someone else's life with it, but you need to find the courage to speak it out into existence, like I like to say, and just let the universe hear it. And what comes from it comes from it. But if you've talked to God about it and he's forgiven you and you forgive yourself, there's nothing else you can do. And the judgment from the rest of the world, it's not, you can't worry about other people's opinions for you. So diving right in. Now, I'm sorry, I'm taking notes as I go so I don't get overwhelmed and lose my spot. So I am talking today, and I know that was a very long intro, but all of that needed to be said. I will be talking about today forgiveness and forgiving myself. So there was a time I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and when I was there, I did not have many boyfriends at all. I had two pretty much, and one of them, it did not work out. It was just kind of a waste of time, and I've talked about that on this episode before, but there was another one that was actually between, it was the last relationship I had before my husband. So I dated one guy that I talked about was a cheater and it was terrible. And then after him, I was single for a while and dated this other guy. And then after this other guy, I married my husband. He was the last guy that I dated. And so I moved to Nashville and I got a job there and I worked there for many years and I had two coworkers that I hung out with all the time. And I'm not going to use names in this episode and I'm going to try to be very careful to not expose anyone because this is my story I'm telling and I don't want to pull anyone with me. If they feel compelled to talk about it one day, that's fine, but I don't believe in telling someone else's story or their part in stories. And so I'm talking about my side. So I'm trying, if I stop for a minute, it's because I want to make sure I'm not exposing anyone. <sighs> so um, I had two coworkers that I hung out with a lot. I hung out with tons, but these two they had the same friend group and their boyfriends were friends with each other. And so every time I would hang out with them, we would all hang out with pretty much the same people. And so it got there for a while where it was them and their boyfriend, boyfriends, and then this other guy came along with them. And so he and I were the two single people and we had hung out in that group with them as friends forever. And so, 
it was just like a group of friends hanging out. Well, the more we hung out with them as couples and then just he and I, we just, I guess, kind of noticed each other more. And so it kind of went from just being friends to hanging out and, you know, seeing where it goes. And so we did, and we kept hanging out, kept hanging out. And for the longest time, we hung out with them as our friend group. And then I would stay over or he would stay at my house and we'd hang out more by ourselves. And so that's kind of how it was. Well, that was for a little while. And it kind of just turned into us dating without officially calling it dating because it wasn't the kind of thing where we met and then he took me out on a date and we started texting from there. We had already, we knew each other pretty decently because we were already friends for so long. And so we didn't really make a big deal out of it, but we just liked each other and we admitted it and we'd all kept hanging out like we always did. Well, things got sort of serious in a way. I mean, we made it clear how we felt about each other. And so, you know, we hung out and all that good jazz and he would stay at my house. I'd stay at his house, whatever, as I said, well, um, he told me one day and I could tell like things were just kind of getting stale between us and I couldn't figure out what it was. And he told me, he said, you know, I'm thinking about taking this job with the railroad. I have a relative that works with them and it's good money. And sorry, he didn't have any family there holding him down in Nashville. And he said, you know, it's good money. I think I'm going to go do it because I've been thinking about this for a long time and I feel like it's best for me. And I respected that because, you know, who am I to tell him, no, you need to stay here with me. I mean, he was great. Don't get me wrong, but we weren't, we hadn't been dating for like three years or anything like that. It wasn't anything of that nature. And so though that we liked each other, he said, you know, we're still like friends, we can maybe try distance. I don't know how often I'll be home. He's like, but when I'm home, we can always hang out. Obviously we have all the same friends. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. He's like, maybe for now we can just be friends and just see. And I was like, yeah, no, I respect that. And it wasn't, there was no hard feelings. It wasn't anything and no bad ending. Well, he ended up officially deciding he was going to take that job not long after, like literally days. And so he decided that that job was best for him. And so I guess he was getting ready to finalize it or whatever. And I went out of town for like two days to go see a friend. And um, I went to see her and I came back. And I had the same work schedule every week. And for some reason, I guess going out of town, I had traded shifts or something. But I worked a different schedule than normal. And so the next not almost week, but just about like maybe the next four days, I noticed that my lower back was killing me. I was so tired. I was just not feeling like myself. And I've never had the flu. I've never been in the hospital. It was, I didn't know what it was like to be sick. So I was like, maybe I have the flu. I don't know. And so I checked my temperature. I was fine. I was like, that's weird. I even took some Tylenol or whatever. I don't know. I took some pain reliever and it helped a little bit and then it came right back. And so I was like, that's weird. Maybe when I was at work, you know, my body was used to being off for two days, but that just didn't make sense to me, but I didn't think anything of it. And so I went home and I laid down at like four o'clock on my bed. I just laid down for like a second and I passed out for hours. I fell asleep and that was just not like me. So I was like, this is really weird. So I was texting a friend of mine and I was telling her what was going on. And she said, you know, you might be pregnant. She said, I have a friend that when she got pregnant, it was the same way. And I said, what? No. I was like, no, literally that's not what is going on. Like, I promise you that's not what's happening right now. 
And she said, I don't know. I mean, if you don't have a fever and nothing's seeming to help, like you're taking hot baths, you're taking Tylenol, you're, you know, hydrating with water and you're doing the best you can, but you're still feeling bad. She's like, you might be pregnant. I said, I don't think so. Well, the next day, the next morning, I woke up like an hour before my alarm because I felt like I was about to be sick. I went in the bathroom, sure as the sky is blue, I threw up and my head was spinning. I was so nauseated. My back was hurting. My body was aching. I was like, if I don't have the flu, I'm dying. Like, this is horrid. It's horrible. And I felt so sick. And I called my boss. I was like, and I I never called out sick because I told you I don't get sick. I don't get the flu. I really don't get the common cold. Like, I have a good immune system. And I was like, hey, I know I never call out, but I feel horrible. And it was like five hours before my shift because it was so early in the morning. And um, I sent her a text and then I called her later when she was up. I was like, hey, I'm not coming to my shift. I feel horrible. She's like, okay, I hope you feel better. Well, finally, I made myself get up and I felt so bad. But I was like, you know what? If I don't have a fever, if no medicine's working, I just need the peace of mind that I'm not pregnant. So I said, I'm just going to go buy a test just to not have to worry about that. And then whatever it is, I can go to the doctor. But I was like, I'm not about to wait at the ER or wherever right now feeling this bad. I just want to be at home in my bed. So I finally went. I got the test. And for some reason, I think my roommate had texted me and said that, like, they were doing construction on our apartment or something was happening. um, And I didn't want to take it at home. And I don't remember what exactly she said. But she told me something. And I was like, okay, I whatever. And I was like... I'll figure out something to do. I'll go to a friend's house. But I had the test with me and I was like, I'm just going to take it here in the store in the bathroom so I can throw the box away because if they see the box in my car, I'm not going to explain that. And so I went in the bathroom and I peed on the stick and it had to load for a minute. And once it loaded, it was positive. And I have seen movies with pregnancy tests and like I've seen them on commercials, but I literally had no idea what I was looking at in that moment. And I knew exactly what I was looking at, but I had no idea. I was, the first feeling I felt was confusion. The second feeling was happiness. And the third feeling was the pain of knowing I'm, I'm letting so many people down right now. And I it took all I had to open the door in that bathroom stall and leave. I was like, I don't even know that I can drive right now. And so I walked out and I sat in my car because I I literally had to wait for like 30 minutes before I could even drive. And I called someone and I told them the words. I said, are you busy? And they said, I mean, kind of, I'm at work. I said, I need you to go take a break real quick, please. And they went and took a break and they, I, I wouldn't say anything. And they were like, are you there? I said, I'm pregnant. And they froze and I froze and I did not know. They said, what are you talking about? I said, what I just said, I'm pregnant and that's all I know. And I started crying and I said, I'm so happy. I'm so upset. I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. And I was just, I had no idea what was going on. And so I ended up meeting up with, um, some people close to me. Now, mind you, I have a large family. I have step parents. I have siblings. I have tons of people. So don't try to pinpoint who it was because there is a slew of people that you could choose from. But I ended up meeting up with some people and I was completely torn. Like I had to talk to my family about this. Some of my family, I had to talk to him about it. And 
I did not know what to do. And so they said, you know, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. And abortion was not in my mind. It wasn't. I didn't think about that. I just said, I got to figure out how I'm going to handle this. And so I called him. I said, well, first I need to tell him. And I called him. I said, I need to come to your house. Are you home? And he said, I will be in about an hour. I said, all right, I'll meet you there. So I went to his house and I walked in and you have to remember he and I had a friendship before this. And so he was like, what's up girl or whatever, you know, just joking. And I didn't joke back. And that's not normal. Even after we ended things, we were friends and it made sense why we were ending things. And so I didn't joke back and I didn't say anything. And if you know me, I always have something to say. And so I didn't say anything. And he walked over there to me and I had the test in my hand and I set the test on his little side table. When you walk in the door where you can put your keys, I didn't even, I made it through the door and I just stood there and he walked towards me. He's like, what's wrong? And I set it on the table and he saw where it was positive. And he said, is that yours? And I said, it is. And it's yours also. And he looked at me, he was ghost white. I was like, I said, I've I have no idea what's going on right now. I don't know what to do. I said, but I have, I had to come talk to you. You're the first person I had to talk to outside of the few people that I've consulted to help me get my head on straight enough to call you. But I said, you need to help me figure this out. And he told me that he did not want a family and he is sorry that he put me in that situation and that he hopes that whatever I decide, it's what I want to do. And he wished me the best. And when he said that, I don't even think I responded. I, like, I literally, I just started crying and then I left. I don't even think I said anything. And he texted me when I left and he's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, but you know, this is pretty much up to It's your decision. He's like, I don't care either way, but I can't deal with this. He's like, I don't have the finances and he sent me this long text and I replied like a week and a half later. I just, I didn't have anything to say. He said, I don't have the finances and I've already taken this job. I'm not going to be around. My family doesn't live here. They're scattered. His parents were split up. He's like, if you want to go through with this, it's on you and your family to do this. And that moment hurt me because my dad outside of my husband and my son is the greatest man in my life. I've been a daddy's girl my whole life. He did so much for me and my brothers and sisters. And I love my mom, but, and I know girls tend to go follow their dads, but I love my mom, but I could never imagine my, not having my grandpa, my dad, they taught me so many life skills. They taught me how to like raise cattle. My dad had a farm. My grandpa did too, how to drive a stick shift, things that I needed a man in my life to do for me. And I couldn't imagine not having that. And though my parents, they split up two weeks after I was born, but they were both involved in my life. They were present. They were around. They weren't gone for months at a time. And so I I was like, so you're telling me I have to raise a child by myself when I don't have money either. And now this child doesn't get a dad or the dad's family because he said, I'm not going to tell my parents. He's like, and if you tell them, I'll deny it in a second. He's like, I don't need, he flipped a switch. And that's what hurt me the most is I thought we were friends for one, very good friends. And then he knew, like I pinpointed, I said, I can tell you when it happened. You know, when it happened, it was the time it happened. And he just, 
he completely didn't want anything to do with it. He denied it, and he said, I, it's not going to happen. It's just not. And it, his parents and I didn't have any kind of relationship. They didn't live there, so it's not like I could call them and say, you need to talk to him. It was, he's a grown man. He moved to Nashville by himself, and that was the end of it. And so I knew. I was like, all right, well, I don't have him or his family support, so there's that. So I thought about it some more, and I called people that I trust I trust their judgment and I know that they would not steer me in the wrong direction. And that doesn't mean that they're people I'm related to, but it was people that when I'm in hard times like this, I needed to hear from them. I needed to hear the truth and I needed them to speak truth into me because my brain was in so many places. I was, I was still not in denial, but I was shocked and about being pregnant. And then him just, I did not expect him to react that way. And I was hurt and so I had no idea and I needed someone to be honest with me and I wasn't ready to tell certain parents that I have and I, there was family members there's people a ton of people that still don't know about this so if they ever listen to this podcast they will be in for a surprise but I didn't know what to do and so I contacted people that have been a part of my life for a long time that care about me that know my family myself my situation and I asked them I said what do I do And only one person told me, no one said you have to keep this baby. Only one person said, whatever you do, I support you. All the other people I contacted said, you don't need to keep this baby. You need to get an abortion. You can't afford it. The foster homes are overflowing with children, which is true. But when you're in the situation and you have to consider that you're bringing a child into this world, either you raise it or the foster homes raise it. And I literally was a server working paycheck to paycheck, living in Nashville that is so expensive, barely making rent. And I just was so devastated because I had never even considered abortion the whole time my head was spinning because I was trying to figure out how am I going to do this? And I didn't know anything about WIC. I'd never had a child. I didn't, I'd heard of WIC. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if you had to be married to qualify for it. I had no idea, but I was devastated And so everyone that I cared about that trusts me, that I trust, that I feel like in that moment their character was coming through and if they cared about me at all, they would give me positive or true advice when so many of them told me the same answer. These are Christians, first of all, Christian people, some of them, and they are proclaimed to be Christians and, you know, that's their business. It's fine. I'm a Christian, but... Nonetheless, these are people that I came to expecting them to say, this is what you can do. This is this, that is that, or me bringing up abortion and them say, there's no way you're doing that. We're going to figure this out. You're going to have this baby and we're going to work it out. None of them said that. All of them said, you need to get rid of this baby. No one can find out about this. You're not mature enough to raise a child, which at that moment I probably wasn't. I needed to grow up, but you're not mature enough. The dad's not going to be in the baby's life. The dad's family... And I actually had family members that I had called and they told me that if I followed through with this pregnancy, they would not speak to me again. And I have seen them say those words and mean it to other family members and I knew they weren't bluffing. That was the scary part. It wasn't, I was worried that they may change or they may say that and then actually not talk to me. I knew they wouldn't. I I have seen firsthand my family on both sides, mom, dad, stepmom, all of them. I've seen people say things and mean it. So I was very, very sure of that, especially because they told me it would make them look bad. 
that their daughter went off to Nashville and got pregnant. So they were very serious about that. And so I, at that moment, had no one that first of all, financially could help me. Second of all, emotionally could help me. And the thing about pregnancy that anyone can tell you, even if you haven't gone through it, it changes your life and you need a support system. You need people to help you through it. Your first time when you're young, you need people who have been through it or people who just have kids of their own or whatever adults that can say, this is what you need to be doing. This is how you raise a child. And I didn't have anyone telling me that. So I literally had no one. And the one person that told me, they weren't saying keep the baby. They said, whatever you do, I'll support you in it. They don't have the money for that. I know they don't. They're having a hard time themselves. There's times I question if they're capable of handling themselves. And I mean, yes, their kind words are great, but kind words don't raise children. And so I was devastated. I was heartbroken because I was so, I had excitement. I did. And it sounds crazy because that's not what I planned when I planned to have my first child and get pregnant. I had not planned that. I was not planning on getting pregnant at that moment. And when I was, it was the most devastating time of my life because everyone around me was telling me how wrong it was, how bad it was, how I'm ruining my life. I'm ruining that baby's life because I'm bringing the baby into a world where I can't afford it and that child can't have the life it deserves and how I was blessed to have parents that worked hard to take care of me. And it was very, very hard. And I'm not, I was too young then to feel like just saying, I'll figure it out. I felt like, how does that, how can I say that when people who have gone before me in life and have all this experience are saying, you're not just going to figure it out. It's not that easy. And so it was very devastating because I felt like people were pushing me in the direction of abortion. And so the people that I care about all came together and met with me and they said, you know, this has to happen. And I sobbed. I cried for days. And this, let me tell you, the process of me finding out I was pregnant until the very end of what I'm going to tell you was not very long. It wasn't. I know it sounds like this is days and weeks and all that. It's really not that long at all. But they came together and talked to me and said, you know, this can't happen. It's not going to happen. And we all care about you and we love you so much. This is why we're telling you this. Like they acted like they really were coming out of a place of love and they weren't like condemning me or anything. It genuinely seemed like they were doing the best for me. And I appreciated that, but I was so heartbroken at the fact of what they were telling me. And so I had someone come to Nashville that I cared about and they called this clinic and made me an appointment. Actually, they told me, they said, you need to call this clinic and make an appointment. I called the clinic and they answered the phone and I hung up six different times. And the person that I called to come up to Nashville or the person that said they were coming up to Nashville to be here during this time, they said, when's your appointment? I said, they haven't called me back yet. And so that person ended up calling the clinic and they answered on the first try. And they said, I just wanted to see that you were answering because this person's been saying they're calling you and you're not answering when clearly you are. So they finally came up to Nashville and they said, I am going up there to make you an appointment today if you don't call right now. And I'm sitting next to you for you to call. I picked up my phone, this exact phone in front of me right now, which makes that suck even more. And I dialed the number and I had heard the same intro every time. And they said, what are you calling for? And I said, I'm pregnant. And my 
people close to me, the people that care about me, certain friends, family members, they don't want me to be. And they said, well, you have to come in for a consultation first, and then from there we'll discuss it. And so I went in for the consultation, and I sat down, and they told me the different ways and the procedures and how they go and all these different things. And I listened to what she was saying, and I was staring into her eyes, and I wasn't hearing anything she was saying. All I could think about was, like, the dumbest stuff. I was like, I wonder if babies cry in the womb but like we just don't hear it and feel it but I wonder if they do it like just out of pure curiosity I was like I wonder if how big they have to be to cry in the womb for me to hear it I wonder if babies you know suck their thumb in the womb I wonder if they wiggle their toes in the womb like I thought about all these things that babies do outside of the womb I was like I wonder if they do it in there and when they called me in, first of all, you have to do an ultrasound or take the P test or do both, which I did both just to verify. And, um, before your consultation, you do the ultrasound and I went in there and I laid down on the table and I felt like I waited forever and it wasn't long at all. And she did the ultrasound and the ultrasound lady, they, I guess they don't tell them if, cause this clinic does multiple things. They literally do all kinds of stuff. And she did the ultrasound, but they don't, I guess they didn't tell her that it was after the ultrasound we were meeting about an abortion. And she said, your baby is so healthy and is, look, everything looks great. You're right on track and look how small, almost microscopic, just look how tiny and everything looks good so far. And it hurt so bad, but I was so happy. And she asked me, she said, do you want me to print you out one of the ultrasounds? I said, yes, please. And she printed it out and I was just looking at it, just looking at it. And I leaned over and looked at the two people that came with me and one of them sort of looked happy. And the other one just looked at me like, don't get excited. It's not going to stay. And I was so hurt and happy in that moment. I was happy because I'd never seen something on the screen that was so beautiful, even though it was literally like a pea. And I was so hurt at the same time. And so after the ultrasound, I went in the room and we sat down, like I said, and we talked about it and they told me everything and they set the appointment for it. And it was very, very soon. The appointment was very soon. And, um, so I went home and I was pretty numb that first day because I was just trying to understand going from I was throwing up nonstop at this point I was throwing up I was exhausted certain smells were absolutely killing me I was so just I was done and I was like what is it gonna be like when I'm not feeling this way I felt this way for what seems like forever and it's just been days and I was like I don't I don't understand what what this is gonna be like and so I went in for the procedure one morning and I remember waking up and they told me, they said, someone's going to have to pick you up. You will be sedated. You won't be able to drive and you're probably going to sleep the entire day and you'll be a little sore and have some cramping. All of that's normal. And so someone drove me. Of course, I wasn't going by myself and I went in and I remember sitting in a room and they had this tile floor that was like a cream and yellow color. It was so ugly. And they had 
pamphlets on the wall that were talking about why vaccinating your children was important and they had pamphlets talking about certain things you should do with hand washing and why it's more important than um, Germex and hand sanitizer and I was just reading all of that stuff trying to think about how normal that is how often I see that in my life and I didn't make anything of it and I was really trying to not think about anything and I remember I wore these black sweatpants that I hated I never wore them I just hated them but I just said I'm gonna wear these black sweatpants today that I hate because I don't want to wear anything that I love in there you know I don't want to remember this outfit I love in there and I wore these they were black and they had this ugly little gray waistband I hated them but I never got rid of them and I waited in the waiting room and they called me in there and you have to take another test just to for records I guess and they sit you down and you have to sign all these papers and my hand shook and I took a minute to sign the papers because I was breathing a little heavy and she said I'll give you some time and she walked out and I I was breathing heavy and I said it's fine everything's fine and I could feel the tears coming and I just remember telling like looking down and saying I'm so sorry like you don't know how bad I want you here and how bad I want to give you a life that you deserve with two parents that love you or at least one parent that can make up for two and provide for you and grandparents from both sides that will teach you things that you need to know and I couldn't imagine either having a child and having to put it in a foster home where it is unloved and gets bounced around from house to house and gets sexually abused or domestic violence occurs for them and all those things that are so common. I I couldn't imagine that, but I still wanted that baby here because I was like, I'll figure out a way to do it. But the fact is, is that I know the reality and I know there were days that I couldn't even pay for ramen noodles. And I was like, what do you, how do I expect to pay for a baby when I have no support? I know I have no support and I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I just kept apologizing to my stomach and looking down and I would go from looking at those hideous sweatpants to my stomach again. And I had to sign paperwork and I went in this other room and they came in there and they put a needle in my arm to open up the vein because that's where they put the medicine that puts you to sleep. And so they put the needle in my arm and I was just sitting there and they called me back from that room by myself. I couldn't bring anyone. And I remember walking down that hallway and it reminded me of the scene from the Green Mile where the big guy's walking to the electric chair. And he's walking so slow. He's just talking to them and he's trying to be positive and they're just bawling and they're heartbroken. And that hallway, it was just cold. It was very, the room, the hallway and the rooms were very cold, like abnormally cold. And those sweatpants were thick and I was freezing. And I walked in there and I sat down on the table and the nurse said, we need to give you some medicine that will open your cervix. And she said, you're going to sit in here for a little while. So your cervix will open up. And I said, okay. And so I took the medicine and right after they came in. It seemed like it might have been a little while. I don't know. I was so, like, I felt so sick. I had nausea the whole time. I was just, I felt so sick. But in that moment, I didn't have any nausea. It was like, 
it was just a very numb feeling. And she came in not long after and she said, all right, she said, we're going to lay you back. And the last thing I remember is the doctor looked at me and she said, this, she said, you're going to go to sleep, but this is going to be very quick. And when it's all over, you won't remember anything. You'll just forget about it. It'll be done soon. Don't like, she was trying to comfort me. And so I said, okay, you know, I'm just going to listen to her. There's nothing I can do now. And I, I laid back and I just felt like my heart just broke because I knew what was about to happen. And I was so, just so confused. I was so thankful that I was doing something to keep people that I loved from hating me and resenting me and letting them down in their lives. But I was so sad. And I thought, you know, what if I never get to have kids again? What if I marry someone that can't have kids? And what if this is my only chance? And then I just remembered, like, in all those thoughts, she said, you know, you're probably about to feel really tired. And I did. And I fell asleep. And I woke up. And it's a quick procedure. I don't know how long. But I don't remember anything. I don't remember waking up. I don't remember leaving. I went and stayed. And I stayed at someone close to me. I stayed at their home. And I slept in the guest room. That procedure was that morning. I slept in there all morning. And... I woke up the next morning and for the first time in what felt like forever and it was just a few days I didn't feel sick at all I had no morning sickness I had no nausea and I had yet through that I felt the most sick I had ever felt in my entire life Because in that moment, I just laid in the bed and I just cried because because I knew what had happened and I I just told myself, I said, it's over, you know, that lady said, I'll forget about it. It's over. And uh, I walked out and there were people there that loved and cared about me. And they said, how do you feel? And I just broke down. I broke, I broke down. I hit the living room floor and I broke down. And I did not know how to answer that question. <sighs> that was in 2016. And we are in the last month of 2019. And I met my husband the next year. And when he proposed to me, he knew about the situation. I had to tell him because I have said, if I'm going to spend my life with you, I need you to know the one thing in my life I've done that I regret. And it haunts me every day. And I told him about it. And he loves me. And he is the best person on earth and I don't deserve him I don't and when he proposed to me he proposed to me with a little puppy and he gave me the ring right after he gave me the puppy and when he gave me her I didn't know I was getting a dog I had no idea I had no names we didn't talk about it and when he handed me to me he said what's her name I said Lucy I don't know anyone named Lucy I've never had a pet named Lucy Lucy's not a name that I've always loved 
it's just not. And I didn't know this, but there's a band called Skillet. And I'd seen them perform years and years ago. And they performed this song called Lucy. And I've always loved it my entire life. Always. It has made me cry so many times, even before this. And I went to their concert. And they performed it. And I looked up for years online. What is the meaning of the song Lucy? What is it about? I couldn't find anything. Because the writer of the song said, I'm not going to come out and say it. It's not my story to tell. He said, there's other people that this is about, and I can't just make that decision. And it was years later after the song came out, and he finally came out, and you can YouTube this. He came out at his concert in Pennsylvania, I believe, and said that he wrote the song about a couple that basically they got pregnant on accident, and they agreed they weren't ready for a baby, and they had a abortion and they weren't healing they weren't and that stuck with me because after that procedure I didn't heal I'm not healed I'm still not healed I don't know that I ever will be and it really stuck with me because I thought I was under the impression so many people told me you know, you'll be fine. You'll forget about it. People forget about it. It's like it never happened. The doctor told me that as the procedure was about to happen. I was talking on the phone to someone I love and care about. And I remember it was the night before my procedure and I got in the bathtub and I was laying in the bathtub and I remember my kneecaps, the tops of my kneecaps were poked above the water. The rest of my legs and body were under the water and I told that person, I was talking to them while I was in the tub because my back was hurting so bad. And I said, you know, I said, what if I regret this? What if my entire life I spend hurt and God punishes me and I hate myself for this? What if I'm making a mistake? And the person that told me this was a man, first of all, no offense to men, but a man who has never been through pregnancy and does not understand the feeling of it. And that man told me, he said, you'll forget about it. It's the best thing for you. Just think of it as like a surgery, like getting your tonsils out. And then all the pain's gone, all the hurt's gone, and you move on from it like it never happened. And I said, okay. And I looked online for like abortion regret stories. And for some reason that night, I did not hardly find any at all. And I was like, okay, maybe people don't regret it. But for some reason, the day after when I looked it up, they were everywhere. And I don't know what that was about. And to this day, I regret it every day of my life, all the time, especially now that I have a child and I watch him grow. And when my husband gave me our dog and I named her Lucy, there was no significance to that name. And it was a year, uh, more than a year later, I found out I was pregnant with our child Stetson and my husband had just left for deployment two weeks before this and I was packing up our apartment. I just found out I was pregnant and I was, we were moving. I was packing up our apartment by myself and I had my song, my music on shuffle and it played Lucy and I hadn't heard that song in years and I love that song. I said, oh, I love this song and 
the fact that it's called Lucy, I said, this has to be about a baby, like a miscarriage or something happened. Like, what is it? And I YouTubed Lucy by Skillet Meaning, and he had released the video of what that song was about. And it was exactly my situation. And he said, we like the couple, them or whoever they're speaking on, couldn't cope with losing the baby the way they did. The abortion, it broke them down. They were not healing. They felt guilt. They were having a very, very hard time after, like months and months after. And they saw a therapist and she told them to have a funeral for the baby, to buy a headstone and to name the baby and treat it as a death in the family. And they named the baby Lucy. And I have, I prayed forever. I said, I need God to let me know for one, he doesn't hate me. And two, that he might give me a second chance. And when I met my husband, who I don't deserve, I really don't. I love him more than anything. And he proposed to me with our dog. I named her Lucy off the bat. I had no reason. And I said, this has to be her name. I love this name. I never thought of that name a day of my life. And when I heard him explain, that was why the song was called Lucy. I literally fell on the floor and I couldn't breathe. I was crying so hard. And I was so sick with morning sickness then, just as I was before. I was miserable and I could not breathe. I was crying so hard because I felt like God had given me a sign that, you know what? You did do something that I'm not proud of. You did do something that you're not proud of. But that baby's here in my arms, in my hands. When you get up here one day, you're going to meet this baby. You're going to see how perfect this baby is. And I know, I know in my heart that God has forgiven me. My dog Lucy is literally licking me right now. I love you, baby. I know in my heart that God forgave, has forgiven me. I know he does because he's a God that forgives. But when I realized that, it literally broke me down. And I text my friend Savannah. And she had made a post about abortion that day and how she didn't agree with it. And I texted her and she had no idea. And I said, I need to come clean with you about something. And I told her straight up what happened. I said, you need to know what just happened. I just realized something. And it broke me down and I just told her and I'm saying Savannah because I have a lot of friends named Savannah and then my husband and I of course I told you we were pregnant with our son and we have him and he will be one next month and he is the absolute best like I I can't explain to you how incredible he is and I don't deserve him I don't there are women out there who have tried for years and years to get pregnant have had many miscarriages and are just praying to fall pregnant that's all they want and I had that and I know that I let other people talk me into something I didn't want but I still did it and when I look at him it's so hard to just not hurt because he is the sweetest baby and I know that he 
was handpicked for me by the Lord and his brother or sister in heaven. I know it for a fact. I know it in my soul. And I know every time he looks at me and smiles, a little piece of me says, his brother or sister is okay. And I'm not trying to make guesses because I'm not good at that. But a part of me felt like that it was a girl. And I don't, I'm not saying I would have named her Lucy. I never went that far to think about names because the process was so fast finding out I was pregnant until the actual procedure. But having that feeling it was a girl, then my husband I meet a year later gives me the dog and I immediately, a girl dog, I immediately name her Lucy. And then finding out the background of that song, it's just unreal. And I'll tell you, when he proposed to me, we had this dog Lucy for like a year before I got pregnant and we still have her now but she was like my baby like she was just there for me my husband's in the military he's busy with work a lot he works crazy hours and she has never left my side she loves me and comforts me and between her and my son and now we have another dog but between those two my heart will never stop hurting about the baby I could have had but my heart rests in the fact that I know that that baby's up in heaven waiting on me and when I get up there I'm gonna apologize time and time again and God's gonna say you don't need to apologize you're up here because you believe in me you love me and you trust me and that's how you're gonna get in here and you know I don't ever want to think about my child passing away but one day he will get to meet his brother or sister again and Right now on earth, I have to remember that as much as it hurts me when, like when I was pregnant and I would go to appointments and they'd say, is this your first pregnancy? I would have to say no. And you never move on from it. You have to answer questions like that. And you can't just say, this is my first time being pregnant because then you're lying. And when people say what happened, you can't say you miscarried because that's not true. And it was an act of selfishness on my part. It was. And you know, it's hard because I'm not a person that is pro-life or pro-choice in a sense. I am that I would never have another abortion. I could never go through it again, but I don't feel like I have the authority or the right to tell other women the decisions that they need to make because at the end of the day, they have to live with the decisions they make, whatever those decisions are. But I can say that I respect the fact that women need to be able to make their own decisions. I can't do that for them, but I can speak on my decisions and my experiences and hope that they will hear this, something that doesn't get shared often at all, and have a light about this that, wow, I'm seeing the other side from someone who regrets it. And I just, you know, I know that I was not ready for a baby to me. I wasn't. And I know so many women out there have abortions because they're not ready and I'm not judging them. That's not my place. It's their right to make the decisions they feel they need to make. And that's not up to me to change, but I've never felt more hurt and disappointed in myself for years now. And it has hurt my marriage in some ways because I would just be so angry when my husband and I were having trouble getting pregnant. I said, God's punishing me because of what I did. And he'd say, no, he's not. I'd say, yes, he is. You don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. And we would argue and we knew he was deploying soon and we would argue about that. And 
now when I see my son and he's just perfect the way he smiles and loves people and laughs and plays, I'm just like, how can God have women on this earth that are praying to further the kingdom of God with his children and they don't get a baby and God gives me a baby that I give back and then God finds me worthy of this perfect little boy that I love more than anything in this world and it just hurts because I love him so much and I'm so happy when I'm around him and then other times it just hurts me to the core that he doesn't have a brother or sister to play with right now and people always ask me you know when are you going to give him another brother or sister and I'm not ready for that I'm just not right now I want to enjoy him my emotional state is not ready to go through pregnancy again because it brings back those memories and I just need to enjoy him and love the perfect child that I have but if it wasn't for my decision he would have a little brother or I believe a little sister running around here playing with him but I know that he loves me more than anything my husband does God does and that baby of mine is up in heaven one day and I can apologize and meet the child that I decided to give up and to the women out there who have kids who are in poor health and they're doing the best that they can as parents to the moms that are young that had babies as single parents and were in the situation as me and they still had their babies and they're working their absolute butts off to the women who've had babies and given them up for foster care you are so strong you are incredible And I admire everything about you and my heart and my prayers are with you all the time because you deserve it. And you are everything. You deserve all the happiness in life. And to the women who have had abortions and regret it, which are many, one in three women have abortions and about 70% will end up having post-traumatic stress from abortion or the form of postpartum depression, the abortion form, which I think my postpartum depression was honestly so bad because of abortion as well. And the women that have gone through that, my heart goes out to you. I am here for you and you are so loved and God does not hate you and you will be able to get through it. You just have to take it a day at a time. You have to. If any of you are struggling to forgive yourself or others, please just know that this life You're going to let yourself down and others so often, but you have to know that there is a God that will love you and forgive you through it. And if he loves me enough to give me the man that I prayed for after this, as well as a dog that is perfect and a child that I could not have asked for a better child for me in this moment of my life, other than, of course, the one that I should have and I don't and it breaks my heart. If he can give me that, he can give it to you. You are never too far. He never hates you. You just have to leave it to him at the cross and apologize and pour your heart out. I have cried on my hands and knees so many times, so often, and you don't know what triggers it. It just happens. I have done it so often, but please, if you are struggling with this, if you are considering abortion, if you just need to vent, if you've had one, whatever your situation, please reach out to me. I am praying so hard for all of you that want to be mothers, that are mothers, that were supposed to have been mothers and it didn't work out. My heart goes out to you. God loves all of us and 
God bless you. Just seriously, don't forget that you can always forgive yourself. You have to. You have to carry on. Forgive yourself and know that you have this one life that you have to make the most of it because it doesn't last forever. And one day you will be in the kingdom of heaven where all of this pain and this guilt and this hurt will not be with you. Y'all, I love you. I'm so sorry if I got too real on this podcast. I know it's very long. It cuts off after an hour, so I'm literally about to be at that mark. But this is the most vulnerable I have ever been, and I probably ever will be. I don't know. I'm hoping to make more episodes, but I need some time to kind of gather myself. We'll see in a day or two where I'm at. But I will try my best to get more content out there. Y'all have a great day, and please remember how loved you are. Please Please, if you feel judgment towards me and you just hate me now and I'm disgusting to you, that is fine. I know that God loves me and he's forgiven me and I can't do anything else about how others feel. But please know that I love all of you and I'm so thankful that you have joined me to get your chaos under control. And I hope that we can join each other again next time and for the future to come. Y'all have a great day, guys.